Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of uh, TechSpansive. I'm Sean Duberback from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. It's great to be back with you. From the last time that we recorded till now, the world has changed significantly. We obviously took a, a small break from recording, but it sounds like uh, many people took a small break from listening to podcasts, so our, <laughs> our break, break was probably well-timed. Uh, Ross, I, I know you're in Queens, so why don't we just start with that? As you pointed out, MSNBC is calling that the epicenter of the epicenter. Give, give us a little flavor for how, how life is with you. Sure. Um, well, thanks, thanks for asking. Uh, we're all doing uh, okay uh, physically right now, and um, uh, we're, uh, uh, I guess, I'm, I'm fortunate in that you know, my family doesn't uh, seem to mind <laughs> spending a fair amount of time together. Uh, so that's been uh, going uh, going okay so far. I, I would say, you know, there's certainly, there have been a lot of comparisons to uh, what the city was like after 9-11. Uh, and, um, you know, back then I was fairly close to the, the epicenter, uh, ground zero uh, back then. I uh, lived maybe about um, a 20 minute um, train ride from uh, from uh, from the World Trade Center uh, and uh, and both uh, my wife and I had worked uh, down there in in years prior uh, to um, uh, to 9/11 in fact I worked at seven World Trade uh, Center uh, many years ago which um, which was one of the buildings that fell and uh, and of course you know in the in the days after, uh, there was a, a very quiet uh, atmosphere in, in New York, uh, in Manhattan. Uh, when I, I I've gone into Manhattan a couple of times, and it is eerie is probably the best word I can come up with to describe how empty uh, the the streets are. Uh, as as for me here in Queens, um, you know the most pronounced reminder of the state of uh, public health is that we have certainly noticed uh, a lot more uh, ambulance sirens uh, over the course of, of the day. Uh, some of that is likely due to the reduced amount of traffic uh, that, that we would normally get around here, but, but you know, it, it, it's certainly uh, related to, uh, uh, sadly, the the number of people heading to the the hospital as well. Uh, very similar. Uh, I, I saw a um, a tweet today by uh, Dana Wallman, uh, the editor in chief of Engadget, who described a very similar condition in Brooklyn, uh, where where she lives. So, so in some respects, it's it's uh, you know you, you hear it described a lot as an invisible enemy, and uh, and I think that is uh, an apt description. It's it's somewhat like being in the eye of a hurricane, where you know there is a, a lot of disaster uh, happening around you, but but if you have not been affected, uh, you know there, there are certainly lifestyle changes, but but it, to me anyway, it, it hasn't really seemed um, too uh, too disruptive in in many ways, at, at least at this time. Well, and you and I both work from our respective homes on a regular right. basis. We we travel uh, for work or for client engagements or or for meetings, but for the most part, we're you know working from home. So in in some ways, where 
others were going through this massive shift in adjusting to working from home. That was something that, you know, that at least for me personally, I found, you know, that uh, my lifestyle wasn't changing that much with respect to that piece of my uh, my lifestyle. I didn't have to build out a home office. I didn't have to, you know, create WebEx tools and, and Zoom tools. I had all of that right. already in, in, in place. So, um, you know, it was interesting to see as things were ramping up and people were adjusting to permanent work from home environments, how they had to adjust to those things. Yeah, and, and my son uh, has been home from school, but but he's older, you know, so uh, it's not like having a a four-year-old uh, in the house or, or a toddler or an infant who needs uh, constant attention. Um, so that that is something that a lot of these folks making the adjustment, not only are they working from home perhaps for the first time or for an extended period of time, along with many of their colleagues, but but it, it is perhaps complicated by potentially their spouse also working from home and their their kids uh, potentially being from home. Uh, one of my relatives, for example, is um, uh, a younger uh, person, uh, married a few years ago, has a, a one and a half year old. Uh, and uh, she is, you know, both of them work uh, and the child is typically in daycare. Um, and you know, uh, that has had to be closed. Uh, so they're managing that situation. Although, uh, like uh, everyone else, uh, apparently these days, uh, she has her daily Zoom uh, meeting uh, as, as well, the one and a half year old, where the uh, some of the uh, people from the daycare center read a, a daily story. <laughs> uh, so it just goes to show that uh, no one is... Uh, no one is immune from from the reach of Zoom uh, at uh, at this juncture. Yeah, that's a great story. I, I did see where Amazon made some of their children books available and and their you know younger genre books available for free. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the audio the audio books where they're reading them, and so it's it's been interesting too to see how quickly tech companies have adjusted to the the, the world changing and and. Um, and making those. And one of the things we were going to talk about today was some of the the winners and losers of the change that we've seen thus far. And, and I think as a follow on to that conversation, it's also worth thinking about how many of these changes will be permanent. Have we accelerated some of the changes that were already in place? Or as we presumably work through this and, and come out the other end, the other, uh, you know, will we be in an environment where we kind of go back to doing many of the things that we uh, we were doing. It you know it's interesting though. It definitely has. Um, you talk about less congestion. I live, as you know, just outside of Washington D.C. This morning, in my very suburban neighborhood, I was making breakfast for my kids and looked out the window and saw a wild turkey running wow. right down the middle of the street, <laughs> and it was. Uh, I, I went outside and there were some other neighbors outside and we all just looked at each other um, as as if we were really in the middle of a Twilight Zone episode. It was the most <laughs> surreal thing that that I had uh, that I've seen in a very long time. And obviously it, it almost felt a little like like Swiss Family Robinson, where the <laughs> where the ostrich is like running through the middle of their new habitat, you know. And so I, I, I find that as we drive less. 
that uh, some of the wildlife is now becoming much more uh, comfortable mm. living living closer to us. So it'll be interesting to see if I see that again anytime soon. But um, <laughs> back back to our narrative around winners and losers. Obviously, Slack and Zoom have uh, we're already in place, but we've ramped up how we're using them. We've seen them make adjustments in their platforms in the last two weeks, which is really incredible to see them roll out new features to to help accommodate the changing workforce and work style. Well, Slack uh, had recently done uh, a, a user interface, um, significant user interface upgrade anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. Good good timing on, on their part, I guess, uh, in, in terms of being ready for this influx of, uh, of new users. And uh, Zoom, yes, uh, Zoom is, is really having a moment. Um, it is interesting to see how even with its restrictions, uh, if you don't have a paid account, uh, how it has defaulted to becoming the choice for uh, a, a lot of these video meetings, uh, even when there are competitors that don't have some of those restrictions, like uh, like Hangouts, for example, Skype. Um, you know, as long as you're you're all on the same platform. In fact, uh, you know, as you may know, I write for ZDNet and. Uh, one of my fellow ZDNet uh, columnists wrote a, a column about why are we all Zooming instead of Skyping, um, went into some of the, the background about how Skype seated leadership in that, uh, in that market to, to Zoom. And of course, uh, part of the reason is because Microsoft has shifted its emphasis to Teams, uh, which is more of a Slack killer, but also includes video conferencing capabilities like like Zoom. So um, it it just uh, really caught on like wildfire and uh, has really become established as a as a default option uh, for 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 video chat, uh, much as Skype. Used to be, I would say, perhaps the one exception uh, is FaceTime, right? So if your uh, FaceTime, I think, has retained its its primacy uh, on on the Apple platforms, particularly for point to point video chats, but but particularly for group uh, video chats, even though FaceTime supports those, if you don't know if um, all your parties are going to have access to FaceTime. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really um, uh, really defaulted to Zoom, and I assume that will continue for for. I, I think it's been a bump. I think it will it will help them to hold back the Microsoft onslaught uh, for for longer than it would uh, ordinarily be able to. And I think what you see in that is the the massive network effects that digital platforms have. And that once those network effects kick in, we tend to see user share, market share, however you want to characterize that, drive to very high levels. And and obviously, this was a storyline before coronavirus because the, the storyline there was we were looking at, or, or at least um, critics were looking at the tech platforms as these large power-wielding monopolies. Right. And some of that power, I think, is embedded in the fact that they're producing digital platforms and digital platforms naturally want to gravitate towards 
these network effects that then kick in and you start to see, you know, 70, 80 percent uh, market share, if you will. And and I, I would agree with your assessment that Slack has captured a lot of those network effects and probably will will retain those as we go back. I think the other thing you're seeing is, you know, there was a move towards with re, with respect to remote working, a video on uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere and who created an environment where you had the video on regardless of where you were and i think that the workforce has become much more uh willing and and even in some cases interested in that and obviously these type of events always draw us to the human experience i think you saw this definitely after after 9-11 you see it after other natural disasters where we we want to know what's going on with the people that we interact with and, and the people that we're friends with. And so, you know, in the, in the past, I think there was this um, desire to, to keep some of that home life away from any video conferences you might be having or conference calls you might be having well with the family. And now people want to see dogs and cats and they want to see, <laughs> you know, kids, kids, they're much more willing to have kids running in and, and have that, and I, so I think that's also changed the um, the the work environment and the perception of what remote working is. Interesting. I I haven't picked up that as much, but I I do really like your point about uh, the the competition with the the Fang you know companies, um, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's um, it is interesting because. Uh, I think four out of those five offer competition to to Zoom and Slack in some way, and many of them are consumer uh, focused. And yet, uh, as I said, for whatever reason, you know, uh, may, maybe because it has been driven so much by the need to video conference with work colleagues, uh, that's why it has. Um, uh, that that that's why it has it has drifted to Zoom, but but it, it is also a bit of I think a comeuppance or or reckoning, if you will, for the many missteps that both Microsoft and Google uh, have made in the chat and and video conference uh, categories. You know, both of them have embraced uh, a number of different products uh, or Microsoft cases acquisitions over the years. Uh, and now Microsoft, again, has some mojo going with Teams for certain, uh, but it's it's still ramping up there. And uh, it hasn't been enough to erase uh, a lot of the the lost uh, advantage that, that it could have had migrating uh, from, from Skype. Two, though, is in, in many instances, because you have offices that are on Office, on Microsoft Office, they get yes. Teams for free as part of that, but they're, yes. they're not really utilizing it. They're still opting to either utilize Slack or Zoom. Um, you also saw Slack build out some of its video capabilities, including one-to-one communication. So I am seeing larger offices, because they're already in that Slack environment, they're mm-hmm. using Slack when they're doing one-to-one video conferencing and video communication. So it's interesting to see where, where some of those may be, you know, Slack could gain some momentum if they're already well entrenched in the office, but uh, Microsoft with, uh, with teams hasn't been able to do that despite the fact that they are quite well entrenched 
in a lot of these office environments. So still early, still early for them. Though. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, other winners and losers that you see? Well, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, an article today about uh, OneWeb, um, one of the long line of uh, global plays to provide broadband uh, internet service uh, via via satellite. Uh, very capital intensive exercise, of course. And uh, this was a SoftBank Vision Fund uh, investment that seems to have been uh, impacted uh, critically by the uh, coronavirus uh, financial environment uh, and uh, was not able to secure bridge funding. So uh, it seems as if that uh, that effort isn't going to be able to to move forward. Um, so so that seems like a, a one one example of a company where you would think actually the, uh, the you would think that the the um, the functionality that it provides uh, would be useful uh, during a, a time of uh, social distancing, but unfortunately, the, uh, the 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 funding didn't didn't line up with that. And an, another set of companies that seems to be uh, getting into a, a fair amount of um, uh, uh, encountering some some challenges to their business models are the gig economy uh, companies with uh, ruling coming here in New York that uh, Postmates employees need to be, uh, Postmates uh, workers need to be treated as employees. Uh, and um, uh, another uh, announcement about uh, Uber and, and Grubhub uh, workers, you know, needing, needing to uh, be, be seeing more protection in, in, this, uh, in, in this economy. Uh, so uh, again, or, or receiving benefits as, as part of the uh, two trillion dollar CARES uh, bill that was uh, that was recently uh, signed in, into law. Uh, so, so those are our, uh, you know we talked about a, a couple of winners in terms of uh, Slack and Zoom, um, but but while the circumstances would would be in favor of some of these other companies. Um, they're they're just encountering some some business model and financial challenges. Well, and you also see some of the workers on some of these gig platforms using this time of of increased demand, spike in demand, to perhaps right. try to negotiate better terms. So I saw that uh, Instacart's planning to hire some three hundred thousand new workers to keep up with its demand. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon. Yeah, and Amazon obviously hiring a lot, but I saw also that some of the Instacart um, gig workers were planning to to essentially walk out on Monday mm. in protest of of some of their benefits in hopes of negotiating stronger benefits. And then there are also requests for hazard pay uh, for some of these deliveries, uh, as well as requests for uh, PPE. Uh, masks and um, masks and uh, uh, hand sanitizer, which of course have been dif- not only difficult for consumers to get their hands on, but uh, there's been a lot of discouraging of consumers to purchase these these items, at least the masks, so that more supply can be made available for the frontline healthcare workers who are who are treating many of the uh, the victims. 
Yeah, and, and I think you do see a lot of organizations offering, you know, quote unquote, hazard pay, uh, typically not adding it, at least from what I've seen thus far, not adding it to that weekly paycheck, but mm-hmm. perhaps adding it once a month or even uh, some of the companies I've spoken with are adding it later in the year. So it also uh-huh. serves as a little little bit of a retention bonus, if you will, but they'll be paid out a few extra dollars per hour for the work that they rendered during this, uh, you know, during this period. And uh, Airbnb announcing that uh, bonuses may not be paid, uh, that they have uh, stopped advertising listings, uh, not, again, not surprising. I guess the only surprise is that they, that they held out as, as long as they did after the large hotel companies had, uh, uh, had, you know, stopped, um, made accommodations for for the spread of the virus but that's uh one one possible explanation is that you're you're just dealing with far smaller quantities of uh of guests right uh, typically one or two rooms being available maybe as opposed to a whole uh, building full of rooms in, in the case of a marriott <laughs> So. Yeah, and when you look at the hotels, so I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks working in that space, and and mm. many of them are are at system wide occupancy rates of you know ten percent across the board. So obviously mm. some some properties are seeing even lower numbers than that. But as we work through this, I I have a feeling that um, the impact will obviously linger for some time for hospitality, travel, hotels, even Airlines. restaurants. Yep. Yeah, airlines, all, all of that will have a, a lingering impact and it'll take some time for them, even as we start to return to, quote unquote, life as normal. But I, I see the, the lingering, the potential lingering impact for Airbnb could be more severe because you think about uh, we're now getting very accustomed to not wanting to be in other people's physical space. We, you know, we want a, a place that's very sterile and very clean. And so the idea of staying in somebody's home, I think, has, um, will be a hard hurdle to overcome uh, until we have, are long past this event. I think hmm. you've seen the hotels do a lot around uh, their, their cleaning regimen and what they're doing right. to make sure that the, the communal areas are very clean, the rooms are very clean. The, they're involved. They understand the protocols that are involved right now. So, for example, if somebody tests positive for, for COVID-19, they inform the local health department, and they've got a, mm-hmm. a whole protocol for it. And they're and they're also mapping back to identify anybody who might have come in contact with these individuals to uh, encourage them to then self-quarantine. I I don't know that I see that same some of those same procedures being put into place for Airbnb because you're dealing with, in many instances, not in all instances, but in many instances, right, you're dealing with in- individual owners who may not be as as well informed about some of those local those local requirements. And then just the idea that, you know, the uniqueness of it in Airbnb is that every house is different, every property right. is different. And we may not want that, at least for the, the early foreseeable future, we may want something where we know that there's been, you know, a very systematic approach 
taken across to all Marriott's or all, all Hilton. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a, a, any impact there. At the same time, Airbnbs obviously can drop their prices very quickly because they're individually priced. So if somebody is looking to, to bring people in, there, there may be greater price decay. Elasticity. Yeah. Yeah. Some of, some of those do, markets do you, uh, be interesting to see. Do, do you think, uh, I mean, obviously there's, there's overlap and competition between them, but, but, Hilton and Marriott, so much of their revenue is driven by corporate uh, travel, whereas Airbnb, it seems like a, a lot more of that is consumers looking to save a few bucks on, on their own budget. Um, so what would that, do you see that kind of, do you see that lessening the trepidation um, in terms of uh, the liability? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Certainly, there is some self-selection that takes place between whether you're staying at an Airbnb or whether you're staying at a at a ho- hotel or or you know property like that. Right. I do I do think that some of this corporate travel will potentially bounce back more quickly. So I think that probably reinforces this view. A lot of the conferences that I have kept an eye on aren't necessarily canceling out but many are rescheduling so the fall could be a very busy time for corporate Mm. travel if if these events do end up taking place obviously some of the very large conventions like nab south by southwest you know some of these were um obviously um world congress those were were canceled for the year and will be rescheduled for the following year but other Smaller corporate events seem to be scheduling for the uh, the October November time time frame, and and actually, I was invited in to uh, speak at an event in China in March, and uh, this was when things were getting really bad there, and I was you know a little getting a little worried about it. That event ended right. up canceling canceling out, but they have since rescheduled for July. So they're uh, planning mm-hmm. to have their events there in July. Obviously, they're further along in that um, in the process than than we are, and so they're starting to reschedule. So it'll be interesting to see if that if the corporate travel picks up quicker than the consumer travel. I think there's a potential for it. It's a good uh, good data point uh, for me in terms of at at what point in time, after what length of time, are people comfortable. Uh, once once the spate of new cases recedes, once the virus is perceived to be under control, uh, when when people will feel comfortable convening again in large groups. So maybe uh, you said July, so maybe four four months, uh, because February really seemed to be the month that, or perhaps this was the month that uh, that China really started reporting. You know the the cases really. Uh, really being uh, under control at, at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, or at least when they really started to shut things down, Lunar New Year was January 27th. And it was after that where they started to inhibit travel. They started closing, you know, factories. So they were closed naturally for that week uh, because of Lunar right. New Year. And then they, they restricted travel after that for those couple of weeks in February. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's the potential, obviously every market is different, but there probably is the potential to see things pick up, say four months, uh, four mm-hmm. months after that. So, um, w- obviously, I think that you know everything will be done on a market by market, case by case basis, and there will be a lingering impact. Uh, 
I think New York being a, a prime case, there is always a strong desire to get to New York, to go to New York, not only from within the U.S., but all around the world. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how quickly things bounce back, given how how impacted it's been by the by COVID-19 spreads and, and illnesses. Well, one one last thing I'd I'd like to uh, try to address um, are uh, some events not happening in my fair city, uh, which are the developer conferences that uh, tend to take place in the Bay Area and uh, the build up in Seattle. Uh, often, uh, these have really become marquee product introduction uh, events, and um, obviously that, to the point where they overshadow. Uh, a lot of the technical sessions that are really the reason uh, for the events to help uh, developers learn how to better take advantage of platforms. But uh, already Google I.O., uh, all of them have essentially committed to going virtual. Uh, Apple's uh, WWDC, Google I.O., and uh, Microsoft's uh, Build event. So um, the question becomes, what impact is this going to have on product introductions? This week, or recently, last week or two, we saw two major product introductions. Uh, One was uh, Apple's uh, new iPad Pro, uh, where Apple was uh, not able to have the kind of dramatic introduction that it it often has at at its events. And um, uh, another was a a new, uh, very impressive phone from the imaging perspective from from Huawei. And uh, watching the live stream of that introduction, it, uh, the, the video of it didn't really seem very different from, the, uh, from, from other introductions of, of their phones that I've seen. The difference is that uh, whenever there would be an exciting new feature announced, you would just hear kind of this smattering of, of weak applause as opposed to the thunderous ovation uh, that uh, that you typically hear. And of course, that is a hallmark of uh, Apple introductions. So uh, do you think this is going to take some sales out, of, take some wind out of out of the sails uh, of, uh, of whatever may be on deck uh, for these uh, for these companies in, in the coming months. Right, so I think there's two impacts. Obviously, there's a supply side shock that happened. As I've talked with manufacturers throughout the electronics manufacturing supply chain, everything there seems to be coming back online pretty quickly. Right. Uh, Especially China, for the big come guys. Back online. Yeah, yeah, China's yeah. come back online very quickly. People I've talked to in North America are seeing components and inputs flow to them. Uh, and so in and, and some instances, they've had increased demand. I've talked to manufacturers that are seeing orders come in for ventilators, for example. So they're seeing new orders come in and they're trying to ramp that up. Where it ends up impacting them most on that side of the equation is with the um, new, new product introductions where companies would send their engineers often to China or to wherever manufacturing was being done. Okay. And, and those, en- those engineers are often planning those trips, you, you know, over a whole year. So they might say plan uh, four two week trips to China where they're actually embedded with the manufacturer and they're working through the tooling, they're working through the prototyping and it's a way of accelerating the, the new product cycle. 
As soon as companies started to restrict travel, I think that took the, that, that's where one of the, the biggest hits was showing up. Uh, already, these products have very short product cycles. They're trying to, you know, come up with the new design of a, of a smartphone and launch it within a 12-month cycle, you know, and, and really these are 9 to 12-month cycles. So any delay in that cycle pushes back the ability to ramp up manufacturing and bring it to market. And so in the case of an Apple bringing out a new iPhone, there's a lot of moving parts that, and a lot of things that have to happen. They've got to qualify parts, they have to test it, and then they have to ramp up production significantly, very quickly, so that they can deliver in, into a market. So I think new product introductions definitely hurt this year, if, if from no other reason than the tr- the reduced travel and then the, the need to go out and source new components with some of these uh, new models. And then to your point, I think there's also a demand piece where because demand is weakened, there there may be a hesitation to bring a new product into that market, especially when you can't build the traditional fanfare around it. Um, I've been surprised at companies that have launched products over the last couple of weeks when I would have thought that they would have um, you know, just, just held on to that and delayed it for a few weeks, if nothing more. Yeah, I, I understand that uh, plans are in motion now in terms of what we will see this this holiday season, uh, but the developer events are often when we see new software announcements, right? Uh, Apple tends to go through its lineup of operating systems from watches to televisions, including phone and iPad, and tell developers, here are all the new toys that you're going to have access to, and hey, consumers, these are all the new features that will be coming to your devices. Uh, Google, we've covered a couple of IOs, I think, at this point, uh, uh, tends to focus a lot on, a little bit on Android, but but a, a lot on its AI uh, it advances, and Microsoft uh, also on, on Windows, and it's... Uh, it's uh, a lot, a lot, increasingly a lot of its uh, server uh, cloud uh, infrastructure. So I, I would say that the equalizer to some extent is that these events all tend to happen in the space of a two-month span, and I don't see uh, things changing dramatically. I mean, they've all already committed to making them virtual. And I would say that most... Um, most developers experience these sessions virtually, right? There's only so many uh, people they can accommodate uh, on campus or at the event or, or wherever. And, and I'd say a lot of consumers either find out about it uh, either online or through the media who will be watching it and perhaps get briefed uh, before anyway, at least for some of it. So, uh, Yes, I, I think it's going to take some of the excitement away, again, particularly for Apple, where WWDC is kind of this, um, you know, has, has an air of a, uh, you know, homecoming uh, kind of uh, for, for a lot of the people connected to that company. Uh, but, um, but in terms of the information flow, I, I still think they'll, they'll probably still be 
more than more than adequate hype <laughs> to uh, to help fuel the uh, the the next round of uh, of products. Well, and and to that point, I mean, we we are becoming more accustomed to watching these remotely, so it will be interesting. But from a the reviewer standpoint, having a hands on with some yeah. of this and getting to to spend a little more time talking having those sidebar conversations with right. product teams um, that that those serendipitous conversations are hard to replicate in a zoom type environment and so and if nothing else in trying to replicate them they will take more time because you rather than serendipitously bumping into someone and being able to ask them quick questions and then immediately in the next couple of minutes ask somebody else questions you have to you know, you have to set up a call, you have to call them, you have to get in touch with them. So there's just a, a more that's going to go friction. in. To, sure. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. more friction. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see how they try to overcome that because that's a really key piece of these developer conferences is, is having those side conversations. It isn't just the presentations uh, that that are always very well rehearsed, but it's really the conversations that are taking place in and around that, around the things mm -hmm. that weren't mentioned during the during the right, group. right. Okay, well, uh, I think um, our sidebar conversations have uh, have have come to an end for uh, this edition of TechSpansive. So uh, it's uh, great to be back and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. And I'm Sean Dubrovac. You can find me at Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. Thanks for joining us. Ross, be safe. Be, uh, you too, Sean. Be healthy and we'll talk to you next week.